As Dan's already done, I just wanted to welcome you. If you're new here tonight, it's so great to have you here. It is heating up in this building, which is really good. It's a joy to be with you tonight, and uh, I'm actually being privileged to bring the word, which I don't take lightly. And um, I've been asked to continue the theme that we've been doing on the book of Titus. Now, I got a confession. I was supposed to preach this message last week, but I felt God was doing something else. And it was a great, fantastic night, so I'm so grateful I didn't preach it. But you're going to get it tonight, that's all right. And uh, I actually did not want to preach Titus. I'm being dead set serious. When Cade sent out the preaching roster and said, I want you to preach on Titus, I just thought, how boring. Seriously, I nearly said that to Cade. But then I actually read Titus for the very first time in my life. (laughs) I thought, this is awesome. Why didn't we do this earlier? So tonight I'm going to share my revelation of reading Titus for the very first time in my life. And thank you, Kate, for pushing me to do that. But just to recap, we had Kathy come and bring the word a couple of weeks ago on Titus chapter 1. Titus is a book where Paul writes to a guy by the name of Titus. He's a co-worker in the faith to direct him how to lead a group of house churches or a group of small churches in communion. Not large gatherings, but small gatherings. And Titus is located in this place called Crete. Now, what is Crete? Crete was this wild place. It was a port where people would come and go for trade. So there were people constantly coming in, staying for a moment, then moving out. It had this mixture of culture of lies, sexual impurity. It was a culture that the young women would not marry and they would sleep around from guy to guy. And those that were married at the time still sleep around from guy to guy. It was a screwed up culture. It was a culture full of greed and love of money. Actually sounds a lot like Vegas. And uh, it actually sounds a lot like the modern world we live in. It might not necessarily be that in your world, but we live in a world that is screwed up on many, many levels. And yet us as Christians, where God calls us to live in his kingdom, but yet still being in this world, but not of this world, We live in a screwed up world just like Crete. The culture of the day was actually creeping into the church. And Paul could see this, and this is the purpose of Titus. He believed that the church should be an example that as people looked at the church, they would actually see the love of God about Jesus' redemptive power just by looking at the way people treated one another within the church. Paul directs Titus how to address the elders in chapter 1, and then he uh, directs Titus in chapter 2 how to address the family unit. Everyone say family. Very good. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Family. And to do this, I have a very short message, and I thought the book of Titus is so small and the chapters are so little, we're going to read the whole chapter 2 together, if that's all right. I'll read it. You just listen. Chapter 2, verse 1, reading from the NLT. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honours God, 
They must not slander one another or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach, teach each other what is good. These older women must also train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good and be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage young men to live wisely. And as you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works in every kind, that everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth that you... So let me start that again. Teach the truth so that your teaching cannot be criticised. Then those who oppose you will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must also obey their masters and do what is best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive in every way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from our godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Final verse, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessarily, so don't let anyone discard what you have to say. Father God, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, your word is not dead. You know it was written thousands of hundreds of years ago, it's still alive, it's still active, and it's still speaking, and I believe it is speaking tonight. Well, we have 15 minutes, Lord God, as we sit here, so we open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our spirits, and we, we pray, Lord God, have your way. Speak to us. May the creator of the universe that created all things and created us, Lord, speak to us tonight that we'd walk away, change people. We give you the opportunity we soften our hearts, Lord God. We pray you'd have your way in the name of Jesus. Everyone said? Thank you. Thank you. Am I on? I'm on. Great. Culture is such an important thing. Now, as many of you know, I'm a painter. I own painting business. So I have the privilege of uh, going and seeing a lot of different businesses and houses uh, around Canberra. This one better? Yep, cool. How's this? Better? Okay? All right. I've got the privilege and honour to go around many businesses around Canberra and um, I've painted a number of gyms full of uh, weights, equipments and workout machines. And you know, there's two gyms in particular that had pretty much the identical amount of gym gear in it in a very similar size room, but yet each gym was totally different to the other because the culture of the gym, the unspoken thing that you not, can't necessarily see all the time, 
there's just a better environment over one to another. And it came down to the owner of the business, to the music they had on, to the lighting they used, to the way they welcomed you at the door. And it actually had this real vibe that you wanted to be part of the better one if you had to have a choice. And that's what culture is. Sometimes it's the unspoken thing that happens without you even knowing. People came here tonight. There were people that turned up at 4.30 that swept and cleaned the place. They turned the lights on. They turned the heating on because they wanted you to be warm. If you walked into this place and it was cold, you would have said this place is cold. But you didn't necessarily notice it. Maybe it is cold in here still, ladies. (laughs) But if it was freezing, you would notice it. And it's culture. It changes the atmosphere. And that's what was happening, that the culture of the day was creeping into the church. Now, when I lived in Perth, just before I moved over, I had a friend that had those 20-cent lolly machines with M&Ms or Skittles. You put it in and turn it. Anyone remember those? They're still around. He had to move out of town for six months, so he asked me to take over the business. And he said, you know, I don't want any money, but just keep the business ticking over so when I come back, it's still going. He said, whatever money you bring in, it's yours. Just replace it with the lollies and blah, blah, blah. So he gave me this card to go to the, uh, the bulk food place. And I bought like 20 kilos of M&Ms and 20 kilos of Skittles. And I had a little trolley sh- shopping cart that I'd walk all around Perth City. But I remember the first time I saw these 20 kilos of M&Ms and I opened the box, I just put my hand in and grabbed a handful. And as I got in the car and ate it on the very first day, I did it two days a week the second day the first thing I did is I got in the car out of habit already developed a habit because they're M&Ms and they're easy to have a habit around and I grabbed a second handful the next day so every morning I'd start my day with a handful of M&Ms and it just became a habit now I stored these M&Ms in my garage and uh When the kids went to bed, I found myself at night sneaking down to the garage and grabbing a handful of M&Ms. And before one month had passed, I would literally have five or six handfuls of M&Ms a day. And this thing that just seemed like irrelevant at the beginning, which didn't really mean anything, what harm could one handful of M&Ms do, all of a sudden became a culture in my life of being consumed by M&Ms and I wasn't sleeping I put on weight I, I just my whole life changed I was agitated it became an expensive habit it was an addiction you know M&M addiction and this culture which I didn't expect very very slowly or actually very quickly crept into my life and changed the person that I was So today, I don't necessarily want to focus on how Paul wants to address these issues in terms of the issues that were brought up in Titus. But what I want to focus on is the principles that he puts in place that we can still use today in the culture that we live in. There's four verses. If you've got a notepad and pen or making notes, it's four verses out of red. It's the first one is in verse two. It says, teach the older men. Verse 3 says, teach the older women. Verse 4 says, train the younger women. And verse 6 says, encourage the younger men. Why did Paul separate the generations? If he's writing such a short letter to Titus, why did he actually have to highlight men and women of different ages, younger and older? Why not just address everyone the same? 
And I reckon it's found in this verse in Psalm 145, verse 4. It says, One generation commends your work to the other. They tell of your mighty acts. All the way through the Bible, there's this underlying theme where God likes to work not just with individuals, but with generations. Working together. And Paul builds upon this. You know, before Jesus, the Son of God, came to the world, there was a man before him by the name of John, John the Baptist, that prepared the way for him. God is a God of generations. He's a God of the one before. He works through the generations, not just one, to fulfill his purpose and plan. You pick up the Bible, he will speak to one generation, but many times that what he speaks is not fulfilled for maybe two, three, four generations down the track. He's a God of generations. What starts in one generation, he finishes in another. Abraham, he started something in. He was the man before Isaac. Jacob was the man before Joseph. Elisha was the man before Elisha. Paul knew this and he knew it well. Paul needed a generation that prepared the way, a generation that set a standard, a generation to take a stand against the culture of the day. You know, there's this saying, I heard it when I was younger. I didn't think much of it till I got older. But it's this. What walks in one generation runs in another. I'll say it again for you. What walks in one generation runs in another. In other words, what is accepted or what, what, what is played out in one generation becomes the new norm in the next. And it's not even questioned. Steve Harvey, who does The Price is Right in America, he's actually a relationship coach as well. I love watching his YouTube clips, but he says this, undisciplined boys grow up to be undisciplined men. And undisciplined men produce undisciplined boys. See the culture that's set in place from one generation to the other. But he also says disciplined men raise disciplined children. Another guy, you don't have to agree with all these people and their stances on life, but they've got some pretty cool statements. A guy by the name of Jordan Peterson says this, A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very, very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. A good man is a dangerous man. A good man has things that he can actually fall and, and fail in, but yet he voluntarily puts checks on himself to put things under control. The best way I can describe what Paul is trying to say is wrapped up in two of my all-time favorite Christian movies. Unbelievable movies as Rocky IV and Creed II. I'm going to talk about these two movies just for a moment, just to highlight, because I reckon Paul knew that these movies were coming. They are incredibly godly movies with godly principles that run all the way through it. But I'm going to chuck a slide up and just explain for those who have not seen any of the Rocky movies. Rocky IV. I did have some background music, but I forgot to ask the girls, but that's okay. Maybe later on. Rocky was a guy that was from, I think, the Bronx. He was like rough as rough and he, he fought his way up to become the heavyweight champion of the world. Then this guy that no one knew came from Russia by the name of Ivan Drago. Ivan challenges Rocky, the heavyweight champion of the world, to a boxing match. And Rocky said no. 
because he had nothing to prove. There was no reason for him to fight. He was already the heavyweight champion of the world. And he did that because he felt he needed to do that for his own purpose, his own sake. So he says no. So the Russian turns to Rocky's mate, Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed was this cocky guy, full of pride. I think he's the next photo. You might see him. Apollo Creed, Mr. America. And he takes on this Russian, but before he gets to the match, he doesn't do any training because he's so cocky and full of pride, thinks he's the, the best boxer there is, and he comes out celebrating, dancing as he rocks down to the ring, only to step in foot with this ring, and this Russian guy knocks him out, kills him in the ring. Full of pride. No training. Didn't prepare. That's the story that Rocky steps up takes on this guy and knocks the Russian out. And he didn't do it out of pride. He came out of principle. This is why it's such a godly movie, guys. 25 years later, the new movie is released called Creed. Now, Apollo Creed has a son that we didn't know about, and his name is Adonis Creed. And the Russian has a son by the name of Victor Drago, 25 years later. The Russian, once again, comes to take on the American. And this guy, Adonis Creed, because remember what? Walks in one generation, runs in another. He was already a guy full of pride. He was already the heavyweight champion of the world. But yet he had this pride coming through him that I'm the man. And when this guy steps up to take him on again, he steps into the ring and gets the snot beaten out of him. Because what walks in one generation runs in the next. The sins of the father was evident in the sins of the son. He gets knocked out, nearly dies in the ring. But he gets back up again. And he says, I'm going to take this guy on one more time. But he goes to Rocky. This is powerful stuff. Is anyone feeling goosebumps right now? He goes to Rocky and says, will you train me? And Rocky says these words to him. He says, the most dangerous person or your most dangerous opponent in the ring is not going to be the Russian. The most dangerous opponent in the ring is yourself. Now ask yourself the reason why you're stepping into that ring in the first place. He then goes and tells his mum, who lost her husband to this Russian, said, I'm going to fight this guy again. And these are the words that come out of her mouth. She says, boy, that's the first word she said. You better deal with this pride that killed your father so your son doesn't have to deal with it. The pride that killed his father could quite possibly kill him. And if he doesn't deal with this pride, then the son is going to have to deal with it. He almost gets killed, but yet he takes on this guy and takes him out. You know, what walks in one generation can quite possibly run in the next. And Paul knew this. And he wanted to challenge a generation to take a stand against the culture of the day, to look the opponent in the eye and to fight. And if you get knocked down, to get back up again. But Paul knew this. There was a secret weapon and it wasn't Rocky Balboa. The secret weapon was Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Because it says this in Titus as he wraps up, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, 
to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Paul not only writes about this biblical principle of generations working together, he in fact, he models it. It says in Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Timothy, my dear son, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace, which is your true strength, found in the anointing of Jesus Christ and your union with him. And all that you've learned from me confirmed by the integrity of my life. Paul, a good man, full of integrity, doesn't just talk the talk, he, he is the talk. He has a young son that he mentors. He said, don't just listen to what I've got to say. Look at the way that I live my life. Look at me, model me, because what walks in one generation will run in the next. So if you walk in, in, in goodness and godliness, the next generation will run in that. And they won't have to fight the battles that others might have to. He says, deposit into faithful leaders who are competent to teach the congregation this same revelation. Paul knew the importance of being a mentor, to be an example, to be a man full of integrity, the man that went before, to raise up the next generation. But Paul was not only just a mentor, he was a peer because he had a guy in his life called Barnabas who was his equal. He didn't lead him. He walked with him. He had someone he could do life with to keep him accountable, to keep him on track because the world that has this culture that wants to creep into the church to take away you know, uh, what Jesus Christ has done in our life. He has men that walks with him, friends that walk with him. Have you got people like that in your life? Have you got a mentor? Have you got someone you can look to and say, He's someone or she's someone that I want to imitate because they've got their act together. They love God. They seem to, when every challenge comes their way, they might get knocked down, but somehow they've just got this faith that is unwavering, that won't cause them to walk away from the things of God or the call of God on their life. And yet, yet it, it seems to make them stronger and want to hold on to God even more. I've got people like that in my life. I've also got peers in my life that I walk with when I, I sit down and I guys, I stuffed up this week. I did this. And they get it. But they don't condemn me. They say, okay, do this together. Let's keep walking. I've shared things with my peers that I haven't shared with the people under me. You need people like this in your life. Paul knows it. He recognizes it. That's why he addresses the generations. And he tells the older generations to look after the younger, to encourage the younger, to train the younger. Yet he kind of gets the whip out with the older ones. So he was a mentor. He was a peer. We live in a world just like Crete, a world full of sin, that is continually trying to creep into our lives and our generation. To help us make a stand against this, we need these things in our community. We need to have godly mentors. We need to have godly peers and be godly peers. We need to have mentees and also be that godly mentee. 
I'm going to close with this story. I'm going to pray. We might have some dinner. But it's found in Numbers chapter 16. It's a story in the Old Testament about a guy called Moses and Aaron. And basically they were leading God's people at the time through the wilderness. But pride slipped into the culture. Unbelief slipped into the culture, slipped into the community. And the gathering leaders in the community got together and started to badmouth Moses and Aaron to the point where it got to the ears of God. Now they thought they were doing the right thing, but they gathered everyone together in numbers and they came up against these two guys that were following what God had wanted for their life. And they started a rebellion. And the community turned against Moses and Aaron and sin entered that community and God allowed a plague to wipe them out because he was angry. This is what took place. Moses and Aaron that had every right just to say, stuff you all. We don't want to do this. We're happy just to follow God on our own instead of leading you. But what they do with their hearts so soft and sweet, Moses says this to Aaron, quick, go, take an incense burner and place it on the altar, lay incense on it and carry it among the people to purify them, to make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them and the plague has already begun. Aaron did as Moses told him and he ran out among the people. The plague had already began to strike people down, but Moses, sorry, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. One man took a stand in a culture of pride, of disrespect, of, of greed, of power plays. One man stood against that culture and stood between the living and the dead and said, no more. No one after me is going to have to deal with what we're dealing with here today. God is looking for a generation that stands up against the culture of the day, that stands between the living and the dead. A generation that if it gets knocked down, gets back up again. A generation that is not afraid to look their opponent in the eye. The culture of sin, the culture of sex, the culture of addiction and say, you will not take my generation. God is looking for men and women that will take a stand. To be the one that says, it stops here with me. How do we do this? And this is so vital. And Paul says this, is we get a godly mentor. We become a godly mentor. We get a godly peer. We become a godly peer. We become a godly mentee. We get a godly mentee. It's a God-given principle that God wants to work with all generations at the same time. I close with this psalm. And then I'm going to pray. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Amen. Why don't we just stand tonight as I pray? Sorry if I've gone over time a little bit. Pete, I'm going to ask you just to jump on the guitar for just a moment, if that's okay. You know, as I was preaching this message, I actually didn't know I was preaching tonight until about an hour and a half ago. 
But as I was standing here delivering this message, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me about people in this room and self-included. As I said, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. Because of the cross, we've been set free from sin and death. But yet we still live in a fallen world where these things can creep into our lives that don't necessarily need to be there. In fact, Jesus died on the cross for a lot of these things that continually creep in, whether it's addiction, whether it's mental health, whether it's uh, relationships. I'm going to ask everyone, if you mind, just closing your eyes. I'm going to keep mine closed as well. But there's a challenge out there, as I closed, about finding a godly mentor, being a godly mentor, finding a godly peer, and being a godly peer and mentee. But right here, right now, we have this moment. It's between you and God. I want you to examine your heart. I'm going to give you a minute. You might just need to say, God, is there something in my life that has crept in? that I'm unaware of or you may even be aware of it but you've allowed that to come in I'm here tonight to challenge you say don't allow that thing to take up residence in your life tonight is the night to say Father forgive me for allowing this thing in I want to be that one that stands between the living and the dead that you could bring life to this generation but while I carry this in my life I'm not doing you any favours Take it away from me tonight. I'm going to give everyone a moment just to reflect on that and self-included. Just have your time with God and just speak with Him right now. just take this opportunity tonight Lord just to lift up this community to you Lord we desire to have what Paul saw generations working together Lord I just pray even if people didn't understand this message tonight Lord may you seal it in our community may you build upon the work that you're doing Lord, may you knit us together. Lord, may we not live this life on our own, but Lord, may we shoulder to shoulder with peers and mentors and mentees. Father God, I just pray tonight in the spirit that you'd birth this afresh, Lord, in this gathering tonight. Lord, I don't even care if people aren't taking this on board tonight. I speak to the atmosphere in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the generations that are going to come to you, Lord, through this gathering. Father, I want to thank you for the generations. Lord, I want to thank you for the people that make a stand and say, Lord, it's not going to come any further. We take a stand. We look our opponent of sin in the eye and say, you will have no possession in my life. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. 
Lord, I just pray you put that determination, Lord, like Rocky had, Lord God, in, in, in these movies and these people to say, you will not take me out. If you are here tonight and there's areas in your life that you've got a love for God like nothing else, I don't question that. But if there's areas in your life that you struggle with and say, Murray, I have tried to get this out of my life. I don't know what to do. I'm going to give you the opportunity as we close this service, have some fellowship at the back and go out for dinner. But if you would like some prayer for that tonight, I would love to welcome you to come to the front. A few of us just kind of gather around us, get around you. You don't have to tell us what it is. And we're just going to pray for you.